Thank you for listening to the Words and Nerds podcast. I'm your host, Danny B. From all of us in the writing community, we just think you're amazing because you put your heart and soul into everything you talk about on this amazing show. The podcast has over 50,000 listeners every month. I love coming on your show and I love talking about it. Oh my God, I finally get to speak about it. Talk about all the things that I've been with by myself for so long. I mean, you provide that opportunity to so many of us and, you know, always are an amazing host. We chat about books, the writing process, and how literature has the power to change the world. But most of all, we have real conversations and we have a laugh. I'm feeling sick. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for being here and sharing the journey. Welcome to another episode of Words and Nerds podcast. This weekend, we are celebrating mothers in all shapes and forms. And today I have Fiona Weaver from Mama Matters, who has her own podcast, Supporting Mums in Their Journey. Welcome, Fiona. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here. It's really exciting to talk to you. And we had lots of interesting things to say off air about mothers and the narrative. So hopefully we can bring them into the conversation. It always happens off air before we record, (laughs) isn't it? (laughs) I usually don't try and talk too much before I record because the good stuff comes out, but I reckon reckon we'll be fine. We still got it. Yeah, we still got it. So tell me, tell me about your podcast, your Instagram page and what it is you're doing. Sure. So I am a social worker by trade and I spent the majority of my career working in perinatal mental health, parenting interventions, um, maternity, antenatal. Um, But I was seeing so many gaps in the way that we support mothers. There was a lot of uh, judgment towards mothers in the way that they chose to care, raise, sleep with their babies, all of that sort of stuff. So I started Mama Matters on the side while I was still working as a parenting clinician. And I just started to explore the world of biologically normal infant sleep, normalizing sleep, um, really delving into the research around what is normal and where we've gone so wrong in the ways that we are parenting and being with our kids. Um, And yes, just kind of grew a community on Instagram. And since then I have resigned from my job. I'm providing parenting and sleep support through Mama Matters. And I've just recently started the podcast too, uh, where I have honest conversations with experts and with other mothers around, um, yeah, everything to do with motherhood. Mm, yeah, yeah, I love that. And there are a couple of things I want to touch on from what you just said. The first one is judgment will take us, that'll take us down a long path. But I also like the honest conversation. So we'll do that one first, because I think, there aren't enough honest conversations. I almost think, you know, my kids are eight and nine now, but I remember very clearly when they were babies. And I remember you almost too embarrassed or too full of shame to say Mm. what was really going on, you know, because everyone came and everyone was like, how are you? Your baby's gorgeous, blah, blah, blah. But it wasn't, I didn't feel like many people were asking how you really were and how hard it really was. Mm. I think even when they do ask, they might not be prepared to sit with the discomfort of the answer as well. So that also leads us to not wanting to be honest with people because then we get the, um, the, but at least you have a healthy baby. Oh, but what have you got to be upset about? Look at your beautiful baby. Oh, you're being a great mom. Everything's going swimmingly. Or it's the opposite. Like, um, for example, if you're complaining about being sleep deprived, it's throwing these behavioral strategies at people to do this or don't complain. You can't complain about it if you're not willing to do anything about it. So although we want to have these honest conversations, if there's nobody holding space for the honesty, then it doesn't really create that safe space between mothers and yeah. Yeah, no, I absolutely think that I, I suffered from my first um, child, quite, uh, quite intense postnatal anxiety. I had a lot Mm. going on. He was IVF. My godmother and auntie passed away quite suddenly two weeks after he was born. And so, you know, suffering quite a lot of that postnatal anxiety where I would wake up at 3am with panic attacks. And at the time Mm. I can talk about that now, you know, nine, 10 years later, but at the time you felt like a failure of being a mother, you know, and you did, you think I'm so lucky. I had this child via IVF. Imagine if science didn't exist, I should be so grateful. Mm. But then you've got this, you know, juxtaposed feeling of just terror constantly and anxiety and loss. And you're almost too afraid to say it because 
you're so lucky, you know, and people keep telling you you're lucky. So, and, and I thought there's no one to talk to about this, mm. you know, like I could tell my mum, but unless you've really experienced it, you can't really understand it. And so I ended up having to like very much should have gone to a psychologist to help me unpack this because no one was really comfortable talking about it or knew how to. And that's what triggered me to think, wow, we don't have enough conversations with mothers, like real conversations about what's really going on. Yeah, it's true. And a level of anxiety keeps us and our baby safe. We're supposed yep. to be a little bit anxious as mums. And I think that's forgotten as well. You're expected yep. to just um, get be on calm. and be confident and calm <laughs> and relax and go with the flow. But actually we are supposed to be that little bit more hypervigilant, but when it gets too much and we're waking up with panic attacks and things, that's a whole other level. Yes, but yes. It, it, you're right. There's no conversations about the ambivalence of, of motherhood. So you can hold gratitude like ultimate gratitude that you have this beautiful baby alongside feeling bored, alongside feeling a bit resentful that you miss your old life and your old identity, alongside feeling anxious about how the fuck can I keep this kid alive? (laughs) Like this is big. It is scary. Mm. This level of responsibility does not land lightly on mothers. Mm. And that's that's just the way it is. But you're right. The the conversations don't happen enough. And especially, again, this is one of those things where if you say, I am feeling really anxious, I'm not coping at the moment, um, there will be potentially judgment around not coping. Um, There'll be probably, again, behavioral strategies thrown at you. Okay. So sleep train or okay. So have some separation from your baby. And sometimes separation from your baby is not what you want at that time for some. Yes. Um, But that sort of seemed to be thrown at people as well. So again, when you do finally have those conversations, the discomfort of that anxiety for other people can make it more uncomfortable. Yeah. And and you end up just not saying it because you don't want everybody's advice because, you know, when you are feeling that really high level of anxiety, you don't really want advice. You just want to be heard. Yeah. You, know, you, you just, just want, want that being with. Yeah. You want someone yeah. to sit with you in it and go, yeah, I, I don't get it, but I'm listening mm. to you and that must be really scary. You know, and I think the most, The most empowering moment for me, and this was only very recently, I was having a panic attack and I was out and because anxiety will always live with me. And I said, oh, look, I'm feeling really overwhelmed. I'm I'm moving in, you know, I'm having a panic attack. I can feel all those things. And the person I was with, instead of saying, oh, you're safe, there's nothing to worry about, you know, those usual sort of things that people say to you, which, you know, they, in in their best interest, like it's, you know, they're trying to help you. Mm. But the person just said to me, how does that feel? And I had never been asked that before. I'd suffered anxiety my entire life and no one had just sat with me and said, tell me how that makes you feel because I don't understand. Yeah, it was just, it was really simple, but it was one of the most amazing, empowering experience. And when I sat with that person and said, oh, this is how it feels physically and this is how it feels, you know, emotionally, et cetera, I was able to sit with it and move through it much quicker than I had before. And I thought, Mm. how strange. Someone just, that's all someone had to do was say, what does it feel like? Well, it sends the message that your big feelings don't overwhelm them yeah. and therefore they don't need to overwhelm you. Yeah. Like these feelings are safe. We don't need to run from them. We don't need to dis- distract from them, stop them. These are just feelings and that's what they are. And let's give them a little bit of airtime. In Circle of Security, I don't know if you're familiar with that parenting program. It's an attachment focused parenting program, mm-hmm. yep. but we call it being with. Um, and when we are talking about being with our children and their feelings, it's about letting all the feelings happen it's not going to be that we can be with our kids in their feelings 100% of the time, but in their heart of hearts, as long as they know that whatever feelings, if it's anger, shame, sadness, curiosity, joy, whatever, that they can bring those feelings to us and we will not be overwhelmed by them. Mm. So then they don't need to be overwhelmed by them. They can learn the art of self-regulation through Mm. co-regulating with us. Mm. And when we, it's the same with when we have these, try to have these honest conversations, when we feel a level of discomfort with, um, feeling sadness or anger or guilt or whatever, when we see other people sitting in that, we want to shift them out of it. We want to silver line it. We yeah, want to push them back up, like cheer them up, you know, get on with it. Po- uh, toxic positivity. <laughs> Everything is awesome. Soldier on. And that just makes you feel really unheard and yeah, yeah not feeling felt. Mm. So yeah, that's amazing. And it's interesting as a society though, that we that's what we do. Like, I feel like we deal with hard things and grief really badly. 
you know, as a society, we're not very good at that. And that's why I really think these conversations are really important. But something Mm. you said earlier about judgment, like I had no idea until I was a new mother that there was actually nothing you could do right. So if you didn't sleep train, you weren't (laughs) doing the right thing. If you did sleep train, that was an awful thing to do. If you breastfed Mm -hmm. for too long, what are you doing? If Mm. you didn't breastfeed, you're an awful parent and you were selfish. There was literally nothing you could do right. You know, Mm. and I remember choosing my path and and very early on going, you know what, I'm going to do this and I don't care. Well, I'm going to try and care, not care what people think. But then people are always very, (laughs) very, what is it? Very, very willing to give you their opinion. Very generous with their opinions, aren't they? I remember someone who I don't really see anymore saying to me, you don't breastfeed once they have teeth. Like, what are you doing? And I'm like, <laughs> they all have their little milestones, wow, don't they? Once he can ask for it. That's interesting. And I breastfed each of my children for three and a half years yeah. each. And so there was a bit of judgment thrown my way, but I went, you know, this is my parenting journey. These are my breasts. I mm-hmm. shall do with them what I choose to do Absolutely. with them. And once I came to that conclusion, I was able to shake off maybe 90% of that judgment. But it's really mm-hmm. hard. Like, what what's your philosophy about all that judgment that gets thrown our way as, as mothers? I think to not dismiss it, we we are being judged. Like mm. and we are judging each other as as mothers. And um there's a lot to be said for the way that patriarchal motherhood kind of um influences the way that we sort of keep tabs on each other as mothers. That's the way that it's created that we judge each other and keep each other in this little patriarchal motherhood system um but what other people think of your parenting or what other people think of you is not as important as your relationship with your child and I think that's a really good mantra to hold on to because you can't say that you're not being judged because you probably are but also recognizing that when we become a mother our brain literally changes and we become more hypervigilant, as I was saying before, with anxiety, but it also makes us really susceptible to advice and opinions of others, particularly around our own mothers. Like that can really um, weigh heavy if we don't feel approved of or mm-hmm. um, supported by mothers or other mothers. Um, so the advice does feel really heavy and we need to protect our space as well so if you're on social media like be really mindful about how accounts and people make you feel and if they don't make you feel good unfollow them go to only a few people for specific advice like have one friend who you align with on sleep values and talk to them have one gp who is open-minded and gets you and talk to them about all the gp stuff so being really mindful about who you go to for what, because you're going to get judged, you're going to get advice. (laughs) And the more that you can grow confidence in your own values and be really sure about why you're doing the way you're doing things, um, the more it can be water off a duck's back instead of just sending you into this shame spiral. Yeah, no, it's absolutely true. And I think that's about gaining confidence in your decisions as a parent but that's Mm -hmm. hard when you're a new mum because you feel like you know I I tried to make myself as informed as I could but you know it's nothing like having a newborn in your arms going okay I actually don't know what to do (laughs) and so I think you just have to really lean into this is my these are my values this is how I want to do motherhood and Mm -hmm. I have all the information I've got all the advice thank you very much but this is what I'm going to do and I think it takes a while to have that confidence And then, you know, I think you also have to have that kind of resilience because Mm. when I just kept breastfeeding my children, it wasn't a conscious choice to go three and a half years each. It was just something that happened. Mm -hmm. And then once you do one for three and a half, I'm like, well, I've got to do the other one for three and a half. (laughs) Fair is fair. It's fair. And so, you know, I was kind of prepared when I went out, save to a coffee shop or whatever, I was prepared to get that judgment that you hear from people, you know, people saying, cover up your breasts, all that kind of stuff. I think it's a bit of a beat up. Well, I hope it is because not once in five years of continuous breastfeeding, there was a time where I fed them both at the same time, the tandem breastfeeding, did I encounter, maybe people were thinking it, but I never encountered anyone, anyone's negative perceptions, except for that one comment about the teeth. Um, And I thought, you know, that's, that's really cool. I've either got this face of don't mess with me or people actually don't care that much what you do. They may not want to do it themselves, Mm. but they're not going to come up to you and, you know, put their judgments on you. So I thought just being confident in what you do is, is really 
important, but it's hard. It's hard exactly. being, mom, being confident. It is. And you, it can't be artificial confidence either. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you just got to go through the shit to find mm-hmm. your own yeah. confidence. And sometimes that might be doing things that don't align with your values because you're just trying different things and yeah, exactly. different ways of being with your kids. And that's and, okay. And it's and okay that's to okay. change your that's mind. part of it. Yeah. That's okay too. You know, yes, you don't have to, to change go, your mind. I'm yes. this. But, you know, I think someone said the other day, and it was just so liberating, you can change your mind. And yep. that's okay. And I was like, oh, that's totally okay. Look. <laughs> yeah. And you should, like, you should change your mind along the way to evolve with the evolving needs of your children. And if exactly. you have more than one child, they have different needs. They need, they require different styles of parenting and um, relationships. So it's important to have that flexibility of the way that you interact with them as well mm. and to be okay with being influenced by your kids. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. But yeah, I, and although, you know, I touched on it before I didn't get any open criticism, it was still, I'm still a bit resentful that I had to go out in public and go, right, I'm prepared for any negative energy that comes my way. Like you don't need that on top of all the other stuff that comes with motherhood. You know, no, you should sorry. be comfortable enough to go out to a coffee shop and go, if my child at three at three years old wants milk in public, I shouldn't have to feel that I'm going to have to give people, you know, death eyes. <laughs> you, know? Like you should be 100% comfortable to, to make those choices. So 100% should. Mm. Unfortunately, it's it's the way it is, isn't it? Mm. I hope that it's changing. Like like you said, even though you, you went in for the fight, um, and you were pleasantly surprised. I mean, that's that's positive. I'm sure yeah. that people before us might have had a few more judgy eyes, but mm. um, yeah, I hope that it's changing. Yeah, I really do. So do I. And that's why these conversations are important because they're not going to change unless we push back on them. And I, I'm be. very bothered and very concerned about the narrative, particularly about mothers, about single mothers, and all the narratives that come with motherhood tell me your thoughts on the the current narratives or the the tired narratives Mm. i think the narrative that the dominant narrative that comes to mind is what is a good mum and pushing back on what we perceive a good mum to be what does that look like um i learn everything from dr sophie brock who's like the perfect mum myth expert but we talk about what does the perfect mum or the good mum look like to you and everybody will have a different vision of what the good mum is but generally speaking she's probably white middle-aged probably one or two kids probably one of each probably in a relation uh, in a, a marriage um probably keeps a really nice home and keeps a nice image and probably goes to the gym and probably cooks all the food and probably also you know, contributes financially to the household. She probably is really social and has good friends. And I'm exhausted volunteers. by this. <laughs> I know. And it goes on and on and on. But this is what, like, if we actually think about what a good mum means to us, we are taking like bits and pieces from all of these different ideals or different people we, we see and we want to look up to. And we're putting it into this one person, this one mother. And it is an unrealistic expectation or an unrealistic Mm. standard that we will never, ever, 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 ever possibly meet. Mm -mm. So we continue to fall short of this unrealistic ideal of what it means to be a good mother. And then we berate ourselves. And then we sit with the discomfort of the guilt and the shame and the not good enough story. And it takes us away from actually just being in relationship with our kids, which is where we need to be. So if we can push back against the good mum myth and start to um, center the good enough mum or the authentic mum or the doing her best mum or the complicated complex mum, then that is going to improve our relationships with our kids and improve our relationships with ourselves as well because it's important for our kids to see all aspects of us. It's important for the ruptures and the repairs and important for us to make mistakes and be real. And um, like I always think if you think about, if you have a friend who's just like, little miss perfect right you know like their house is always kept Mm -hmm. they're always on time and they just make you feel like shit (laughs) and also you just can't really connect with them because it feels superficial or you feel like you're not living up to their standard or Mm -hmm. you know it's just it's not it's not that what we're looking for is this level of perfection we just want to be authentic and real life and that's what our kids need as well but also just for us Mm, exactly Mm. and uh, yeah there's a lot of things in that that I want to talk about 
particularly with kids seeing real, you know, and sometimes you do have stressful, bad days. And I'm always the first one to apologize to my children. If I think I have been overwhelmed or I have snapped at them when I shouldn't, I'm really sorry I did that because I think you're right. Kids need to say that you're human. You're not perfect. Mm -hmm. You are not the perfect mother. You're trying really hard to be an engaged, loving mother, but sometimes life gets overwhelming. So I'm always the first to say, I'm really sorry about that situation. Let's talk about Mm -hmm. it, whatever. I also think it's really important to show real emotions in front of your kids. I think sometimes we try and shield them from when we feel sad or when we're crying and we try and take, I mean, I used to take that away from my kids and I thought, oh, hang on, I don't think that's actually the best thing. I think they need to see that you can be upset too. You're not just this stoic person who Mm. takes care of them and sits on the, you know, (laughs) perfectly, you know, not feeling anything. So I think it's important that they see you feel things as well. And there was another thing that I've read that I love this so much that both boys and girls as they're growing up should see their mother in their underwear, in their swimmers, walking around their house, because as we know, a woman's body changes throughout the month, not only throughout their lives, but throughout the month, throughout the menstrual cycle. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, both, um, all children should see their mothers looking real and looking imperfect or perfectly imperfect, Mm. as I like to say, because then they won't have these expectations that, a woman should look like they do on the cover of a magazine. You know, the real Absolutely. woman is the one walking around my house whose yep. body looks different from day to day, depending on what's going on. <laughs> mm. And the mother who is just unapologetically her and in her yes. body. So oh. there's no like looking in the mirror and like grabbing your tummy fat and thinking, oh God, I feel so daggy. And it, keep that to yourself. Like yes. express your emotions <laughs> around your kids, show them that you're real life, but please don't berate yourself in front of them. <laughs> and they see you so differently differently Fiona like I remember I had my little son he was probably two or three and I was having one of those days where I just need to go to the shop no makeup hair I probably forgot to brush my hair which is a frequent thing like the daggiest clothes and I just went I just need to go to the shop like having a terrible you know mother day feeling terrible and I remember him pointing at this like beautiful model on the front of a shop and saying oh mom she looks like you and I wanted to cry because I'm like we look actually nothing like each other at all. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like I look like a cockroach today and she looks like a goddess. <laughs> but your, your child, and I just wanted to cry because I thought, oh, my God, like your children see you so differently to the way you see yourself. And imagine if you yeah. saw yourself even 10% the way your children saw you. So mm-hmm. that self um, criticism out loud I think can be really damaging to children because it conflicts with how they see you. Yes, they just look up to you, don't they? They think you're beautiful. You are beautiful. Um, (laughs) Well, when they're nine and ten, they give you a bit of attitude, but, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I've got a six-year-old boy and he's probably heading in that direction. He doesn't think I'm beautiful anymore, but he still loves me. (laughs) Remember that time when your boy wanted to marry you? I remember I was so full of joy when my son was about three or four telling me he was going to marry me. I was like, yes. And then he's like, I'm not going to marry you. That's weird. You're my (laughs) mum. quickly times changed I know my daughter wants to marry me too oh I love that (laughs) I'm I'm sorry I'm already married (laughs) besides all the other complicated mother daughter the whole like laws around not marrying kids (laughs) etc but it just goes to show that you know that bond you have with them that they just that's the only way they feel like they can be with you forever you know and I say to my kids well you know we are together forever you know this Mm -hmm. is this is you and me and together you know that's what's gonna happen we're still together that's why I'm gonna grow old together hopefully fingers crossed if you're very lucky yeah (laughs) but I do want to go back to the narrative I mean I became a sole parent single mother I know sole parent sounds better but I'm, I'm kind of trying to change the narrative of the single mother because as I told you off air when I started to just ask people really quickly in in unguarded moments I was like tell me don't think about it give me five descriptive words of what you think about a single mother I'm not going to say what they are because I want to add to that narrative but I can tell you they were not complimentary (laughs) they weren't complimentary I'm pretty offensive And so I thought, even though we're in 2022 and, you know, I think all mothers are resourceful, independent, courageous, all of those things, I think that's you know particularly true with a single mother who, you know, I found myself unplugging toilets and going to Bunnings and fixing taps and mowing the lawn, all that kind of stuff that I hadn't done before, which, you know, it turns out you're totally capable of doing, right? Yeah. But you kind of become really resourceful. So now I've gotten to the point where if people give me that uncomplimentary stereotype of a single mother, I'm fully 
at the stage where I laugh at it now and I think well come to my house for a week and you can see Mm. that none of that is true Mm -hmm. but there's still a very strong narrative not just to do with mothers but then if you're outside that traditional family god help us (laughs) yeah absolutely it goes back to the good mum myth as well doesn't it like a a good mum is in that um that what's it called nuclear family nuclear family yeah and then but but the, the good single mum myth is something as well. So you can have a, a good single mum, you can have a good mum, you can have a good grandmum. Like what do all of those things look like? So breaking down what our, um, yeah, like you said, the narrative around that can be so helpful in giving it a new identity mm-hmm. and your own identity, your own spin on single motherhood. Like that will look different for everyone as well. Yeah, I know right. that my friends who are single mothers are so resourceful and, um like savvy and tenacious and because you you don't have anything to kind of have to be <laughs> yeah 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 you just got to like get it done yourself i love it yeah yeah mm. absolutely true yeah it's it's strange that those narratives still still stick and 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 change is slow you know whenever yeah. there's change in societal values or perceptions they're really slow to have and that's why i'm keen to listen to these conversations and have more of these conversations because mm. i think they're so important because the more you hear something the more you hopefully rethink it now you've talked about good mother good single mother good grandmother you know coupling that with the good wife how many times have you heard someone be described as oh she's a good wife like what even does that mean oh every time my <laughs> my husband plays golf i get <laughs> I get these messages like, oh, you're, you're good to him. You're, uh, she's good for letting you play golf. I'm like, this is not a thing. Like it's a, it's an agreement between the two of us. This is his hobby and his passion. He enjoys playing golf. If it works for our family, go and play golf. Like it's not about me letting him go. I had somebody message me and ask me for permission for him to go and help with something. If they're moving or something, I'm like, you don't need to ask me. We are two individual people in a relationship. It's not that I am gatekeeping what he does, letting him do this, letting him do that. It drives me bonkers. Mm. (laughs) But it's interesting, isn't it? Because now then we've also got the perception of that that gatekeeper or that person who won't let our partner outside the door. Like Mm. how wrong is that? (laughs) Where does that come from? Oh, God knows from bloody so many layers. (laughs) But also this narrative that, you know, wives are, wives are, are naggy and yeah. always on you about Possessive. things. But because we're doing all of the things, mm. like it, it does, the majority of the emotional, the physical load of parenthood does fall on the shoulders of mothers yeah. typically. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we are going to get a bit fired up sometimes because there's a lot of change to happen, but it's not about golf. <laughs> <laughs> Or letting letting them go. Letting them play golf, letting them have a beer. Mm, that's a really interesting word, isn't it? The permission. And mm. I often think that as well with women. Like I have experienced a lot of mother guilt in the last almost decade and I had no idea this existed either. Mm. And the question of, oh, are you going back to work? Like I've never heard my ex-partner be asked if he was ever going back to work. You no. know? <laughs> Oh, how many days are you going back? And there's no right answer. You go back five days a week, you are not a good mother. You go back one day a week, you're not contributing financially to the family. There is no correct answer to this question. No, there's no, there's no winner. You can't win. You can't do all of the things. You can't be a really, really good stay-at-home mum and also contribute to the family financially. Yeah. Like you can't, you, you literally can't do all the things. So stop trying because you're always going to fall short because the standard is completely unrealistic and unattainable. Yeah. I mean, and the super mum, the super woman has to be mm. dead, right? We need to, we need yeah, to put her dead. to sleep, right? Yeah. We, don't we need that. to like um, critically reflect on all of the things that we see on social media as well. All of these memes, like, um, mums are the ones who will always give you the clothes off their back and blah, 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 just really feeding into this self-sacrificing martyrdom kind of motherhood that just keeps us small and giving and giving and giving and then it being just dismissed as that's what mums do. Yeah. That's your job as a mum. Yeah. If you're not yeah. giving your clothes, you know, off the off your back, mm. then you're not a good mother. But then you go yeah. on an aeroplane, right, Fiona, and what do they tell you to do? Fix your own mask first before you fix anybody else's. That's what they say. 
Yeah. And so that's that's the narrative we need to take into life because I know that I'm a better human being. I'm a better parent. I'm a more engaged, happy, loving mum when I've had time out to do the things that I need to do to recharge me. Mm-hmm. So, Absolutely. And mm-hmm. I think sometimes a really positive reframe because for some it can feel really confronting and overwhelming to say, you know, look after yourself or choose you sometimes, but to think about what you're modelling for your kids. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm it's always not about you about taking that. away yeah. time from your children. It's showing them this is what showing up for yourself looks like. Yeah, absolutely. And I've had that conversation with my kids and kids are kids, you know, they're, they're egocentric, which is just the way they are. And that's fine. But we've often had the conversation of, you know, this family is about all of us and we all need to do, be able to have time to do our thing, you know? Mm. So if I take you to soccer, I'm so happy to be there and so happy to watch you and I'll take you and whatever. But then later on I'm going to need my time to read this book or to mm. record this podcast or to just I don't know go outside and <laughs> just be on my yeah, own don't you know, talk whatever. to me for like an hour <laughs> right. so I think that's the you... biggest gift of them all <laughs> that's right just to let everyone leave me alone so I can levitate me air. no one touch me although when you have a bath I still get 14 knocks on the door which you just have to live with but you know I'm really yeah. trying to instill those values of we all deserve our own space and time within the mm-hmm. week or the day. And we're mm-hmm. all as equally as important as each other, you know, because I, I feel like there has been this strange shift in parenting where it's almost like you're expected to take your children to 55 sports and dance competitions and give them every single million opportunity in a week, leaving you basically always in the car, rushing from one point to another. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I think this is different to when we were kids. I remember my parents took me to little athletics occasionally, you know, when I was growing up and then that was it. And now, you know, I'm hearing that there's five, six, seven days a week of soccer and dance practice, leaving once again, parents with very little time for themselves. Yes. Little time and little resources and little space. And this feeds into the intensive mothering ideology where we think we need to provide so many things for our kids, all of the extracurricular activities, all of the mental stimulation, all of the, you know, face-to-face, one-to-one time, all of the time. There's so much that we need to give to our kids in order to, you know, provide and care for them and raise them. But actually whatever you're giving to them as part of the intensive mothering ideology takes away from uh, anything you do for yourself is perceived as taking away from Mm. your kids. Yeah. So it's all about giving, 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 giving and not worrying about yourself. And then that just breeds resentment. And then you have mothers who are completely losing any source of identity. They don't know what interests them anymore. And, you know, part of that is just the, the journey, the growth um, in becoming a mother kind of breaks you apart and rebuilds you. So there mm. is always going to be a time where you're like, who am I? What do I want? What do I do? Um, but you need space to be able to explore that and get curious about that. Mm. And without space, yeah, you're going to get stuck. To do that. I love yeah. how you've just said that you get pulled apart and you rebuild yourself. I just, that is so reflective of my own experience. And, you know, particularly because I, I chose to breastfeed for quite a long time, my son, he never slept, right? Never. Didn't just didn't need sleep wasn't ever. For him. Yeah, wasn't sleep's yeah. not for him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I remember doing a lot of my early parenting in the dark, you know, always up in the middle of the night, always feeding him, always trying to get him back to sleep. And look, he'd sleep for an hour and a half stretches, sometimes 45. That was pretty much it. <laughs> sleep's, sleep's much better now, thank goodness. That's good. Uh, but there was a time where it was really tough. And I, I do feel like I actually feel like that was the time where I was being pulled apart and Mm. you know all of my identity and who I was just disappeared and you don't notice it at the time because you're in the trenches you're trying to you know keep your child alive and yourself alive and you're trying to get a little bit of sleep here and there Mm -hmm. Um, and it wasn't until I think both my kids or maybe three and five where I started to come out of that fog and go oh okay and now that you talk about it in retrospect, it's like, yes, that was the time of rebuilding where I was re- rebuilding who I was. And funnily enough, it was the time I started the podcast because mm-hmm. I, I I craved those conversations about interesting things, about books, about talking about vulnerability. And I started the podcast and that was part of me rebuilding who I was. And I look back and 
you have to claw your way back to who you were or that new version of who you are. That new version, that's exactly it, isn't it? Because there's so much pressure on getting mums to bounce back and get oh. back to your old life. And mums say that too, like, um, oh, if I do this or if we, you know, if I go back to work, I can get my old life back quicker. Or if we stop breastfeeding, we can get our lives back quicker. And you don't need to get your life back. You can surrender to the fact that your life won't look the same. Hmm. Your life will never be the same again. And that's okay. That is, yeah. And how do I look in this new life? And hmm. what are my, how have my values shifted or what's important to me now? And how can I, how can I level up? Like we don't want to be ourselves again. We want to be ourselves 2.0. Mm, I love that. New and improved. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And just actually stating that the breaking down and the rebuilding that is so clear in my mind, even that was, you know, some years ago for me now, it just rings so clear for me. And I think that's so mm. true about the new version and about, you know, not being afraid of, of leaning into who we are and really discarding, discarding all that, what a good mother and a good wife or a good partner or a good daughter, what all that looks like, like dismantling all of that stuff mm. and just being who you are. Because at the end of the day, you know, I remember growing up as an eighties, nineties child, like really all I needed was to feel loved by my parents mm-hmm. and to just have space to kind of, you know, play and have a bit of fun and hang out with your friends like I don't know I didn't need that much more than that no but you probably asked for it at the time yeah always. <laughs> my my son <laughs> he just asks for so much right. he's such, such a consumer it's so triggering it's I'm, constant yeah but I, I, I wanted to go back to that point of when we um because I think it is important to note that that in the early years we are often consumed by motherhood and that's also often where we need to be. Yeah, totally. So in order to survive, when we might not be able to, you know, be 2.0 versions straight away and knowing exactly what our new interests and passions are. So it's okay if you're in the thick of it as well yeah, because that's totally. probably just where you need to be. Yeah. And that's at. where I needed to be and yeah. I was there for probably, I don't know, three, four years because I had them quite close together. Yeah. And that was okay. I felt totally comfortable in that space, but I knew there would be a point and I didn't have the language at the time, but I knew there would be a point of rebuilding who I was or that new version of who I would be. But within that period of time, that's all I wanted to do, that's all I needed to do was oh, just that's where you needed to be. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And I yeah, loved I that not... time and I don't regret a second of that time. It was hard, Yeah, but you know, it was where I needed to be. It was where they needed me to be. And, mm-hmm. you know, but then it was really an interesting journey of, of that rebuilding of, you know, well, who am I now? Or even the better question, who do I want to be now? Yeah. And I think that slowing down in motherhood can feel really hard at the beginning um, well, the whole time it's it might feel like a bit of a pushback because mm. you are so used to um, like judging your worthiness on your productivity levels yes. or what you achieve in a day. And then motherhood forces you to slow down and your work is so invisible. It really can mm. be so invisible. And you get to the end of the day and you haven't sat down and your house is still messy and no one's eaten properly and everyone's melting down. But <laughs> no one's asked you how much milk you produced that day. <laughs> no, 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 no one has. But knowing that there, there's some real magic that happens in that slowing down and being forced to yeah. re- revalue yourself yeah. outside of your outside of your productivity. Mm. And you know what? That word magic really rings true for me because I remember those, you know, dark years in the trenches in the dark all the time, mm. but they were magical moments. They were hard and, I was, wow, I was tired, but they were magical because it was just you and your child, you know, connecting in this way that you, you know, you can't connect with anybody else because you're mm. in the middle of the night, you're breastfeeding them, and it's just you and them. And those moments, even though they are hard and they're mm. exhausting, they're magical as well. Like I still look yeah. back to that time and maybe that's a part of the reason I breastfed for so long because I didn't want to let go of that magic too fast. Yeah, it's it's special, isn't it? I, I feel really fondly about those times as well, those middle, middle of the night feeds where it's yeah. just me and the baby yep. and they just like that's such a double-edged sword being so needed by someone because yep. it's such an intense level of love and connection and being needed but that can also weigh so heavy when you just also want to leave the house with not without everyone melting down yeah exactly which sometimes I remember you know thinking 
I just want to leave the house for half an hour and I'd go for a walk and you'd, the whole time you'd be worried about are they okay are they hungry are they this are they yeah. like it's such a it's such a weight and it is such a double-edged sword exactly and I remember yeah. um when you know the kids were finally asleep and I knew I had a, at least a couple of hours before they'd wake up I remember sitting on the lounge thinking if I could levitate right now I would because I don't want anything touching me like I was <laughs> overstimulated yeah and overtouched and I remember yes. even the cushions felt awful on my skin I was like oh I just, I just want to levitate I don't want yeah, anything touching total, me total like nervous system yeah. overload isn't it where you're yeah. just like oh just get rid of every single stimulus yes yeah it's really interesting isn't it and yeah. you know unless you've been through that you know had someone talked about this before and had kids I would have looked in absolute confusion and gone I don't even know what you're talking about yeah I remember <laughs> my mum always like oh it's too noisy turn the tv down do this turn the lights off and I'd be like call your jets mom and now I am that person like oh I just can't have the tv on anymore please turn the tv off Ross stop watching videos on your phone open that window turn that light off oh I feel the same way and I and sometimes when I, I drive you know I drive to work occasionally and people are like oh what do you listen to and I should be listening to podcasts but on the way to work I need absolute silence like I just want that yeah. 30 minutes of nothingness yeah right Get my brain back to being still yeah. I don't want the radio I don't want to listen to anything and I don't and That's sometimes fine. you know you don't you don't get enough of that because life is busy and and noisy but yeah I totally get that just I just mm. need some quiet sometimes yeah. which is hard in a house full of children it's very hard they're very overstimulating kids yes. in their essence yes. <laughs> so what what do you hope you're achieving in your work oh I hope that when people come across my community and my work that they can drop their shoulders breathe a sigh of relief, feel less alone in motherhood, less um, less tied to the shoulds of motherhood, less letting go of some guilt, letting go of some not good enough stories and just coming back to the relationship with their kids, mm. being with their kids in the moment instead of feeling like if I hold my baby for this nap, they are never going to sleep alone. Yeah. If I feed to sleep, then they're going to feed to sleep forever and these are bad habits and I'm ruining them. Mm -hmm. This whole quest for early independence is just so much rubbish yeah. that true independence actually comes from deep, deep, deep dependence for as long as the child needs. Um, so, yes, that's that's my hope for, for mothers, that they mm -hmm. can let go a little bit. No, I, I just, I believe in all of that philosophy. And I think my mum brought me up that way without even knowing what attachment parenting was. And I remember my mum telling me when I was older that everyone told her she's going to end up being so dependent and she's, you know, never going to do anything on her own. And I ended up becoming quite an independent woman. <laughs> and I think there was a bit of shock around that. And so I really looked at that. I mean, attachment parenting, I was really interested in too when I was bringing up my children. And I just thought, I think my mum brought me up like that without even realising it. it just came natural mm. to her. And I see my kids now, I see my kids who I co-slept, I breastfed, they still sleep in my room sometimes. Oh. <laughs> and I keep telling people, I can assure you by the time they go to university, they won't want to do that. We're okay. Yeah. I no longer feed them to sleep anymore. We're okay. We're fine. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Thank, Thank you for your advice. Thank you. Soldier on. <laughs> they're, they're eight and nine and they do not want to breastfeed anymore. We're good. Yeah. <laughs> and I just think, you know, and then when I see them, and they just go to school and they're so independent. And my son had an overnight excursion, which he'd never been anywhere overnight before without me mm. or without being at his grandma's house. And he was just confident. And he said, oh, other kids were crying, but I was fine. And I just thought it oh worked. God. Like, yeah, it bloody worked. Because Aside he knows that he can depend on you. Yeah. And yeah. I just thought this is this is so interesting that, we, we often do as a society want to force independence and force kids to work in with our schedule. Mm. Whereas if you go back to, you know, when we weren't locked into societal norms of having to work from eight to four or whatever it is you work mm. and both parents having to contribute financially, we didn't need kids to fit into our schedules. Mm. But all of a sudden we needed them to sleep for eight hours like we are sleeping and need them to be awake during the hours that we're waking and it, it's just unrealistic. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. And 
but we still need to be mindful of that context, don't we? Yeah. Like we, we, we do still have to go to work. We do yeah. have to function in some way. So there's got to be a level of compromise somewhere for That's right. what does a parent need and what does a child need. But all of these unrealistic expectations of kids to be independent, to sleep by themselves for eight hours at a time, 12 hours at a time usually. <laughs> um, but uh, this is a quote from Amanda Donnett, who's a psychologist in Brisbane, but she says the unrealistic expectations of mothers shouldn't fall on shouldn't result in the unrealistic expectations of babies mm, exactly I love I probably that. butchered that but you know what no, I mean but I totally know yeah. what you mean and it's about yeah. them having to fit into your schedule so yeah. your life can continue as usual and that's just not the way it works unfortunately yeah, exactly. it we need to be mindful of infant mental health and, and yeah. their attachment how important that is and not to dismiss yeah. that yeah. but also hold that alongside the mental health the well-being of the mother and the parents mm. as well and once I let go of that, I mean, I went to mother's group and everyone's child slept perfectly and it was just me sitting there half zombified <laughs> going, he's just never sleeping, which makes you feel like a complete failure. Mm-hmm. But once I let go of all that, and it was really hard, but once I let go of that going, that's okay, he's a healthy, happy, fine child who's, you know, there's nothing wrong with him. It's just all mm-hmm. me. He's just not sleeping. Yeah. Um, once I let go of that, it was just really liberating to go, well, that's just who we are and that's okay. Yeah. And okay. we're not going to fit into the normal schedule pre-baby and that's okay too. So mm. it's really hard to let go of, but once you do, it's quite liberating in that yeah. way to go, well, that's okay. We'll just, we'll just together, we'll manage this and we'll, we'll have a new, that. you know, our days will look different than what they did before. Yes. And sometimes a lot of the sleep problems are the pushback against separation. Like our babies often don't want to be separate from us. So if the baby doesn't sleep in their cot or they wake frequently, it's because they just want to be close to mom. And usually um, if they are close to mom, they sleep a lot more soundly. But that doesn't mean that, you know, co-sleeping is right for everyone. It doesn't Mm. mean that um, contact napping is right for everyone. So holding that alongside that's right. Like what you need, (laughs) but you need to be really mindful about what is biologically normal and how much of this, sleep issue would resolve if you could surrender a little bit yeah, like what, exactly. what can give exactly and I was I've got to say I was terrified my baby was very tiny um and I had to feed him frequently and I was worried about him being in my bed you know because mm. you hear lots of things you know about SIDS and all those things and I was very mindful of that in the end I had no choice like he was in a cot and that's still co-sleeping when there's a cot in the room in yeah. your bedroom yeah that I had no choice at that time when he was waking up every 45 minutes Mm. to have him in bed with me yeah all night because he would sleep for much longer yeah I just had to surrender to that which is a lot safer if you are informed about safe bed sharing that is a world safer than feeling so shit scared of having your baby in your bed so you fall asleep on the sofa you fall asleep on the feeding chair you're up like nine hours um, staying awake because you can't sleep with the baby. That is mm-hmm. like, and if you can put that baby alongside you safely, if you don't meet any of the risk factors and things, um, then that is a million times safer yeah. than And I didn't realize that. Positions. That's right. No, it was about because being informed. Yeah. This is one of those like, conversations that doesn't happen enough. That's right. And all I heard was, oh, that's very dangerous. That's very dangerous. And then when I started yeah. to unpack it, and I was like, actually, if you don't meet the risk factors and you do it all safely and, you know, you do mm. all the things you're meant to do and it's it's actually safe and that's what I ended yeah. up doing. So Yeah, and there's yeah. so many, like, beautiful things that happen when a baby sleeps alongside their mother, like their breathing sinks up and the mother attunes to the baby's breathing and even yeah. in your sleep, if the baby has a longer pause or something, you instinctively rouse them. Like it's incredible the research on mothers and babies sleeping together. Oh, I love that so much. Yeah, it's really beautiful. And they are, they're special moments, you know, when you Mm. wake up. And and it got to the point where, you know, when they're in the bed with you, they find their own milk and you don't even have to wake up anymore. (laughs) No, my my first hardly slept as well. But if he was in bed with me, he'd kind of wake up, hop on the boob and we'd both go back to sleep and I felt rested every morning. I couldn't believe it. It was, it was game changer for me. And when you have mm-hmm. a baby waking up every 45 minutes and you end up getting blocks of two and three hour sleeps, you feel <laughs> amazing. <Yeah. laughs> 
<laughs> this yeah. is what humans feel like. I had three hours sleep today. Yeah. I'm so energetic. <laughs> so funny how your standards change. Oh, right. <laughs> the new version of you only needs three hours at a time. Yeah. Yeah. So funny. You remember when you, well, this is for me, before children, you'd, you know, you'd go out to brunch and you'd have so much spare time and you'd mm. sleep for 10 hours. And I'm like, I've wasted so much time in my 20s. Imagine what I, I could have know. achieved, right? Yeah. I achieve more now with yep. the very tiny cracks of time I have than mm. I ever did in my 20s, like just wasting time doing I don't even know what I was doing. I know. Me too. I, I set my alarm at 4 o'clock every morning, which is just ridiculous, but I cherish that space in the morning before my kids are up so yep. much I love getting up when it's dark and there's no one else around I love watching the sun come up having my coffee by myself and sitting there with my little laptop and then then I don't feel resentful of the kids when they wake up yeah. because I used to when I first started building my business I'd try to get up early but Zali was still a little toddler and she would wake when I got up and I was like oh I should have just stayed in bed or I'd just sit down to my computer and she'd come out and start drawing on everything and I was like this isn't working because I'm not feeling happy to see her in the morning but now I'm like come here join me on the couch and that's what I'm the opposite I stay up really late so I'm a late person I actually wish I did that yeah well like it's more reliable whatever works for you but I stay up probably till midnight and then Mm. I sleep till probably six six or seven I don't need a whole lot of sleep but um yeah I like that hours when you know they go to bed and it's about mm. eight or eight thirty I'm like this is my time yeah to that's feel nice. rested and to feel I always have big plans hey like I think once the kids are in bed I've got really um, I'm gonna work on this and then I put the kids to bed or I clean up the kitchen while my husband's putting the kids to bed and by 8 30 I'm like I might as well just get up earlier in the morning instead. Yeah. I just cannot yeah. stay up. Yeah, but you've got your morning where you do your stuff and I've got my night time, so don't, yeah. I, don't, I think it matters when you do it. It's whatever sort of works for you. Yeah, so. exactly. Mm. Yeah. And I can't go to sleep any earlier than midnight. I've tried. My body just says no. That's, you're crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I just can't imagine it. <laughs> but, see, I can't imagine the four in the morning. So yeah, we're both yeah. doing whatever works for us, which is exactly what we should all be doing, right? That's right. Where's the message in that, hey? (laughs) Well, I've loved this chat and I just love talking about all of these things and bringing them to the fore and unpacking and dismantling all those tired stereotypes. So I really appreciate you talking to me and sharing with me all of your wisdom and experience because I just think the more people that can join this conversation or contribute to this conversation, the quicker we can change all those tired narratives of, of what mothers and women and we are meant to be Mm -hmm. well i love it well thank you for starting the conversation i've loved talking to you and i'm really excited for your book as well thank you which i hopefully tried to dismantle all that stuff in a fun way so yeah so much awesome well you're part of the change